going to ask you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. To experience powerlessness is to experience what it means being human. To have moments of powerlessness in your life simply means that you are a human being. We human beings can't control everything. Powerless was how I felt this week when I received an irate telephone call from someone who was ill-informed. And no matter what I said, there was nothing I could do to change his mind. I felt powerless to try to correct his misunderstanding. You've had conversations like that. Powerless is how you feel when you see disease attack the body of your loved one. And refuse to let go until it has fully drained the life out of that one that you have loved. You're powerless. Powerless is how you feel when you go before a state legislature committee or a school board or some other governing body. And you lay before them the facts of the case. But in the end, politics dictates the outcome, not reason and facts. You're heard patronizingly, but even as you're being heard, you know that the minds of the persons in charge are already made up. No matter what you say, you're powerless to change the outcome. Powerlessness is part of being human. Powerless is how you feel when you drive by the gas station and the gas has gone up four cents overnight. You'd like to wring the neck of somebody, but who? And what are you going to do about it anyway? Powerless is how you feel when you're involved in a divorce proceedings that you don't want. But the laws of your state permit it anyway. You're powerless to stop it. In all of these and in thousands of other ways, we all have times when we come away from life feeling victimized because we are not powerful enough to resist or to overturn or to change minds. Feelings of powerlessness quickly develop into frustration, anger, and despondency. Now these are normal human feelings. And they are part of the common daily experience of being finite. That means limited. Human beings are finite limited, and thus experience times of powerlessness. The God that we worship never, ever experiences those kinds of feelings. Because God is infinite, which means that he has no limitations. Therefore, we speak of God as being omnipotent, almighty, Sovereign and supreme. 
The fact of God's power being unlimited is demonstrated in the very history of the universe. We begin as early as we can with the creation of it all. This last week I went to a lecture in the university campus that was entitled Scientific Evidence for the Existence of God. A brilliant professor and head of the mechanical engineering department at Texas A&M delivered a lecture that was about six feet over my head. I think if you weren't a major in chemistry or physics, you might have had a hard time following at least some of his speech. But he was demonstrating that in the creation itself, there is evidence of design and power that we cannot understand. Would you turn with me to the book of Romans? Let's leave Ephesians for just a moment. We'll come back there. But look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. The apostle here says, For since the creation of the world, His, God's invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made. Someone has said that when the scientists have struggled through their scientific experiments and theories to the heights of the peak of science, they will get there only to discover that theologians have been there all along. Because what they find when they get to the peak of the summit is divine design and eternal power. It's exactly what the Word of God says is in creation. After God had created by His Word, His fiat, for six days, He then rested on the seventh, not because He was tired, not because the creation drained Him of energy and He had to catch up, but merely to demonstrate His complete satisfaction with the six days of creative work. And to give an example of what he wanted man to do in working six days and resting on the Sabbath. God's power and energy is demonstrated in the creation and uh, that power yet sustains the creation that he spoke into existence eons ago. The psalmist says this, the heavens are telling the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. We also see the historic demonstration of God's power in the deliverance of the people of Israel from Egypt. God Himself points to that bit of history as a demonstration of the time when He made His arm bare. It's not that God has a right arm but God is using there an anthropomorphic expression, a human-like expression, to demonstrate a truth about himself. It is his power. The power of a person is in his arms. And he says, I made my arm bare. I flexed my muscles at the Red Sea. Go back and read about it in Exodus when God sent the plagues upon uh, Pharaoh and his nation. And then when they got to the Red Sea, how God parted the waters 
and demonstrated his mighty power. Turn to Psalm 106 and notice the words of the psalmist there regarding this historic demonstration of God's almightiness. Psalm 106, verse 7, Our fathers in Egypt did not understand thy wonders. They did not remember thine abundant kindnesses, but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name, that he might make his power known. Thus he rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up. There have been various theories as to how the Red Sea actually parted. Everything from great earthquakes to volcanoes. Whatever means God may have used, the fact is that it demonstrated His power to deliver His people from Egypt. The scriptures speak of a strong wind that came and parted the water and dried up the soil so that the people of Israel were able to walk across that sea bottom. The demonstration of God's power is also seen in the history of the nations. You can turn to Daniel 2, verses 20 and 21, or Daniel 4, verses 34 and 35, and especially that latter text, which is the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar. And you see that the Saddam Hussein of that day finally was humbled and he came to the point of recognizing that God Almighty, the Yahweh of Israel, rules over the destiny of nations and their kings, including himself. And it's still true today. We see the historic demonstration of God's power supremely in one other act. And we will go back now to Ephesians chapter 1. The text that was read earlier. Paul prays for them that they may be enlightened by the ministry of the Holy Spirit to know some things. He prays that their eyes might be opened, just as we prayed earlier, so that they might know something about God's calling, the hope of it. That they might know something about his inheritance in the saints, the glory of it. And something about his surpassing power toward those who believe. Now he says all of these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. If you want to know the greatest demonstration in history of the power of God, we have just read it. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is true that there were others who were resuscitated before that. But Jesus was resurrected in a new kind of body, a different order. It was the same body, and yet it was a different kind of body. There was nothing left in the grave. It was the same body, and yet it was a body fitted for the supernatural realm, the spiritual realm. Great power demonstrated by God in causing the body of Jesus to actually be changed in its very makeup, 
there in the grave. And for the soul of Christ to come back to that body. And then for God to cause him to come to heaven and to be seated at his right hand. No man ever before was seated at the right hand of God. But now there is the God-man who is there, the perfect man, the glorified Son of God, who by the power of God has been raised to that exalted position. God has demonstrated his power in history, and we've only touched on a few of the examples of it. There is no limit to his power. God does whatever pleases him. Thus, he cannot sin, nor can he act in any way that is inconsistent with his divine nature. But God is unlimited to do whatever pleases him. Let's talk about the contemporary application of God's power for a few minutes. Because God is almighty, therefore the child of God needs fear no enemy. David wrote, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? We need fear no enemy. That professor, Dr. Walter Bradley, who stood before the students at the university this week, I admired his courage. 300 plus students jammed into that lecture hall. Uh, They were like a cascade before him, coming down to his feet. And of course, there were many in the audience who agreed with him, but there were significant numbers of skeptics who did not agree with him. And after his lecture, as the plan was, uh, questions were asked of him. And as you know, some of them were hostile. Some of them even making accusations regarding his logic, his rationale. I admired the way that the doctor stood there and listened politely and then answered by the grace of God in ways that were irrefutable to a reasonable person. Such courage on his, he needs fear no enemy. Why? Because as he stood there in the midst of this Mars Hill kind of situation, He stood there in the power of God. I look out and I see some who've stood before committees down at the state legislature. And you have spoken the truth before people who were hostile. And you know that in yourself that is a frightening and intimidating situation. Especially when the chairman of the the committee is hostile toward your witness. And yet in the power of God you have stood there and you have declared the truth. And so it is when you stand before someone to witness to them in the name of Jesus Christ. Or you go to your employer, your your supervisor, and you stand for what is ethical and what is right in the sight of God. God stands there with you and you need fear no human enemy. For God demonstrates his power to protect you. This is true likewise of protection from our spiritual enemy, Satan. In James 4, 7, it says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
It is true when we are being persecuted as the apostles demonstrated in Acts chapter 4. They were under intense pressure by the leaders of the Jewish religion in Jerusalem. And instead of quaking in fear, they got on their knees and began to pray. And God so demonstrated his power that the very room where they were shook. Elizabeth Elliot, in her January-February newsletter this year, relates a story that her brother Dave Howard passed on to her from his travels in the Eastern Bloc. They identify the man in the story as Ivan. They do not identify the country uh, in which this man lived, but he was taken by the secret police to prison. He was a Christian. And on one day, he was dragged from his cell and interrogated. He was tortured, beaten to a pulp, and then taken back to his room back to his cell and thrown in on the floor. This was not a new experience for Ivan. And there in the prison he had but one human comfort and that was a blanket that he kept over himself to try to protect himself from the cold. And when he was thrown back into the room to his dismay, there was another person in there wrapped up in his blanket. That very last vestige of comfort had been taken. And he figured that this man was an informer. And there, as he lay upon that filthy prison floor, bleeding in pain, he cried out and said, I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. The man who was in the blanket said, Ivan, what do you mean you can't take it anymore? Thinking that he was an informer, Ivan did not explain any more than that. He just kept saying it. I can't take it anymore. And then the voice from the blanket said, Ivan, have you forgotten that Jesus is with you? And immediately Ivan looked at the blanket and it was empty. God demonstrated to Ivan that he was there in that moment of weakness. And Ivan jumped up and began to shout and praise God. And in the morning when the guard came who had starved and beaten him, Ivan didn't even want any food from the guard. And the guard said, why, did someone feed you? And Ivan said, no. And the guard said, but you look so different. Ivan said, that's because my Lord was with me last night. Oh, is that so, said the guard. Where's your Lord now? And Ivan opened up his shirt, pointed to his heart, and he said, right here. Okay, said the guard, I'm going to shoot you and your Lord right now. So he drew out his pistol and pointed it at Ivan's chest. Ivan said, shoot me if you wish. I'll just go to be with my Lord. 
Shaking his head, the guard put the pistol back in the holster and went away in bewilderment. Later, Ivan learned that at that very time that he had been undergoing suffering, his wife and children had been praying for him. And they had read this verse as they prayed from Isaiah 51, 14. The cowering prisoners will soon be set free. They will not die in their dungeon, nor will they lack bread. It was not long after that that Ivan was released from prison. And he went back home and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ until he was in his 80s before the Lord took him home. God's power, my friend, is as real today as it was in the book of Acts. Now the fact is that God doesn't always demonstrate his power as he did with Ivan. There are times when the beatings result in death. There are times when there is no apparent human relief. But God is there. And God is able to demonstrate his power in other ways. Not only is the child of God in in such a situation that he needs fear no enemy, but the child of God also is assured of his eternal safekeeping. As Peter says... In 1 Peter 1.5, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Those who are the born again ones of God are protected by the power of God until that day when they stand complete in the presence of Jesus Christ. I thank God that my salvation security does not rest upon me but upon God. That it's not my faithfulness, but it's God's power that is keeping and guarding me until that day when I will stand before him. The child of God can pray with confidence because God is almighty. There is nothing that is too hard for God. We sometimes sing the chorus, nothing is too difficult for thee. Why? Because God is almighty. Jeremiah 33, verses 2 and 3. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call unto me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great and mighty things which you do not know. Look in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul, as he concludes this first part of his book, says in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all we ask or think, according to the power that works. The power that works. The dynamite of God that energizes us. The power that works the last two words, within us. God's power is in us. And when you and I pray, it releases the power of God. You and I can pray with confidence because we are praying to a God who is sovereign. 
dear friend of mine, whom I talked with this last week, has served the Lord faithfully. He's now 68 years old. He's been a pastor, a college president, a seminary dean, and above all, a great preacher. As I talked with him, he told me what God has been teaching him in recent years, really, regarding prayer. He's just finished a book on that subject. And one of the things he told me on the phone, I was paying, so he seemed to want to talk a lot about it. Um, One of the things he told me on the phone was that one of the things... God has taught him from the Lord's Prayer is that every day we ought to pray for our daily needs to be met. Give me this day my daily bread. So for 13 years, every day, he's prayed that. Give us, Lord, what we need today. When he retired from the college position that he had, they desired to move back to where some of their roots are in the Dallas area. And when they got there, they had no money really for a home. Housing is even higher there than, or has been at least, than it is in this area. And they looked at homes, couldn't find anything, and uh, they finally found one that they really liked. It, It was just kind of their dream home. But it was twice as much as they could afford to get a loan for. I don't know how much, but twice as much as they could afford to get a loan for. The day after they saw the house, a friend from somewhere, I'm sorry he didn't give me the name and address, (laughs) a friend from somewhere called and talked to his wife, Celeste, and so how are things going? He says, well, just fine. Well, we found a house. Well, we saw a house that we like, but it's twice what we can afford. He said, well, tell me about it. So he did. She did. And she explained the details. And the friend said, tomorrow there will be a cashier's check for that whole amount delivered to you, along with enough extra money to pay for your moving expenses from the other state where you've lived to get to Dallas. Is that an accident? Is that a quirk? No. It's because that couple has learned to pray every day, Lord, just give us what we need. We don't want to go out and get in debt. God, just give us what we need. And God, after 13 years of praying that way, felt that he could entrust them with that kind of an answer. We pray to a God who is able to meet our needs if we're willing to trust him. We can also say that because God is almighty, the child of God can serve with effectiveness and fruitfulness. Ephesians 3.7 says that our gifts are given to us by the power of God. Ephesians 5.18, we are told to be filled with the Holy Spirit in our living, in our ministering and use of those gifts. God's power can be demonstrated today in our lives just as it has been through the centuries It may be in different ways, but nonetheless, it's as truly God's power. 
In the days of the apostles, it was with signs, wonders, and miracles. And there are some people today who think that God still has to demonstrate his power in the same way or God hasn't worked. I'm afraid that's a deception. God does work that way sometimes. I received a letter from a missionary friend of mine in Nigeria who tells of the conversion of some of the Muslim teachers and leaders called Malams in that area. And he says that their conversion to Jesus Christ has been demonstrated by the same kinds of things that occurred around the conversion of Paul, the apostle, things that are miraculous and unexplainable. God can demonstrate his power in that way if he so chooses. But it is no less a miracle, it is no less the power of God when you sit down in a Sunday school class with some precious children and there's no signs, wonders, and miracles, but you're opening the Word of God to them and because you are under the control of the Holy Spirit, that Word goes into their hearts and it takes root in there and it begins to change them slowly from the inside out. That's just as much the power of God. God wants us to serve him in the power that he's placed within us, in the resident person of the Holy Spirit. I've used this illustration before, but I think it demonstrates so well what being filled with the Holy Spirit means. It's not like a glass being poured up with water, but a better illustration is that of a sail on a boat that is put up. And because the sail is up, the wind comes along and fills the sail. It billows. Because the sail is full, the ship is moved along. So when you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit, it is that we have put up the sail, so to speak. And the Spirit of God moves us along in our lives and empowers us, enables us. We can be certain that God is going to respond in our lives with powerful working when we put up that sail. We might compare that sail to obedience. Feelings of powerlessness are common to humanity. I would imagine some of you have had experiences in recent days when you have felt victimized. Or when you were in a situation where you could not change somebody else. You could not control the circumstances in which you found yourself. The fact is that you and I worship a God who is all-powerful. And with his supernatural power, he is able to sustain us and to keep us, whatever our earthly circumstances. God doesn't directly intervene every time that you and I are disappointed. Nor does he always provide physical protection in the moment of a threat. Nor can we as believers presume upon God's power or abuse it for self-gratifying purposes. But the fact is that God's power indwells and surrounds every child of his to preserve us unto our divine destiny. And so the best way for you and for me to live is in faith, where we recognize the almightiness of God, and we relax and we rest in our circumstances, knowing that God is bigger than it all, 
that we can rest in his sovereign shepherding of our lives. All power resides in the benevolent and wise supreme being that we call God and Father. But the fact is, in the demonstration of his power in our lives, he will limit himself to the size that we believe him to be. Maybe that's why J.B. Phillips called that book written years ago now, Your God is Too Small. Because we put God in a little box this big, and we say, now God, can you fill that box? God says, oh yes, I can fill that box. And we're content for God to be that big. When in fact God will expand in our lives to give, to, to fill all the room that we give to him. We can't give too much to God. There's no way that we can open up to God beyond what he's able to use and empower. God is unlimited. Paul S. Reese, who used to pastor in the city, said, I can count on God to let loose in my life when I am ready to let something loose. The hurtful habit, the crippling compromise, the unsurrendered ambition. When we let loose of those things, God will let his power loose in our lives. Elizabeth Elliot said throughout the Bible, when God asked a person to do something, methods, means, materials, and specific directions were always provided. The person had only one thing to do. Obey. Obey. God is using you today said Vance Havner, as much as he can. Not as much as he could. Whoever we are, there's more that God can do in and through us if we will learn to yield to him and obey. May that be the point of contact with this message today, that we understand the almightiness of God and we go forth from here determined by the grace of God to be yielded to the Lordship of Christ and to obey Him in every respect, knowing that when we do that, God will fill us with His power and we will act nothing. Let's pray. Would you stand with me, please, as we pray? Father, I pray that the power that we have talked about this morning and seen demonstrated in history as well as in contemporary times, that that power which is resident in the Holy Spirit who resides in our lives, that that power that is dynamically working within us may be expressed through us. Forgive us for living weak and poor lives, for conducting ourselves as paupers when in fact we are enriched with all of the power of God and can live as princes in God's family. Father, with some of us today, there are issues of obedience that need to be resolved. We pray that you will deal with those. 
Do not allow us to rest in disobedience, but continue to stir up and even to trouble us until we come to that place of surrender, for that is the place of happiness. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'd like for us to sing just one verse of hymn number three. So take your hymnal and let's sing that before we are dismissed. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. It's hymn number three. Let's sing the first verse.